You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad and we're focusing a little this week on Hot Docs, which is the international documentary festival that happens in Toronto. And this, this year it's celebrating its 30th event. And there are two movies that are screening of Irish interest. Uh, there's Vicky, which is about Vicky Phelan. And there is much ado about dying. And that is a UK-Irish uh, production. The direct, it is directed by Simon Chambers and the uh, producer is David Rain. Simon is in New York at the moment on his way to Toronto for the festival coming from the UK and David is in Gortahork, Cúna Dúnangal um, in uh, Donegal in Ireland uh, and we're delighted to have both of you here. Thanks a million guys for co- connecting in with us. Thanks um, Austin, thanks for having us. Much about do about dying. Um, the first question I have, Simon, is when presented as you were being called back to London from India to take care of your dying uncle, David, at what point did you say it's time to get the camera out? And did you have to seek David's permission? <laughs> That's a very good question, because um, David was an actor. And um, he was one of those old-fashioned, you know, Laurence Olivier types that sort of pontificate loudly from the back, you know, from the stage to the back of the stalls, and he talked like that. And he, his whole life was about acting. He he lived through Shakespeare, and um, so it was really him that said to me, "Listen, this is really boring having you coming over and helping me out every day. You're a really boring nephew. Why don't you go and get your camera?" Um, at least it would make it a little bit more interesting and I can do some of my Shakespeare speeches to the camera. And so that's why I did it. And it's also, I don't know if anybody who's listening is a carer for a family member, but um, I know for a fact that in Ireland, for example, there's over a million carers uh, like that who are unpaid and unrecognized and all of that. Um, And you can get sort of, you know, your family members can quite often treat you um you know a little like they'll make an effort when when a when somebody from outside the family comes along and they'll be all kind and nice and put the kettle on and have the cake and everything but you as a family member you can get taken for granted a little bit and so i was always the one that was sort of sent out to get the um toilet rolls and the you know the the vegetables and everything um and and i i, I was treated in a way, although he, you know, we had a great relationship, but I was taken for granted a bit. But then when the camera came out, suddenly, um, he'd be all kind of charming and, uh, you know, we got on much better with the camera there. <laughs> the other aspect of that is when you were called home or called back, you, it, it literally in one way, you could say it's a one way ticket because you don't know when to book your return flight. So how did you deal with that? Well, Austin, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because I thought I was, what happened was I was in India and he kept ringing me and saying, oh, Simon, I'm dying, I'm dying, you've got to come back, you've got to come back, I need you. And um, I rang a few friends up in London and I had someone that was going around to keep an eye on him and they were saying, no, he's okay, don't worry, it's just he's, you know, he's a complete drama queen. And then... um, he, it got to a point where they said, I think you better come back. And I thought it was going to be for a couple of months, you know. And that's the thing, again, that I'm sure a lot of you, your listeners will 
relate to is that you never know how long you're going to be caring for somebody and you never know what's going to happen. And you think, oh, I'll go back. I'll sort everything out. I'll um, get a carer or I'll find a home or whatever it is that needs doing. But actually, um, Austin, it was five years later. I was still in London. I was still looking after him. And um, I realized he had no intention of dying whatsoever. So so in many ways, uh, I'm being facetious here. You could have turned this into a comedy, but um, it's it's uh, it's life and death, literally. Well, it literally is. It is a comedy. Um, I mean, it's very sad as well because, oh, can you hear the, the New York uh, police in the background there? Um, so it's literally, um, you know, it's very funny because he was such a funny guy. And... Um, you know, he'd come out with these witticisms like um, he, he at one point in the film, he starts telling one of the other old people in the care home that he's ended up in. And he says, oh, death, it's just like going on a wonderful holiday, but without any of the bother of having to pack. And he, he comes up with all these kind of witticisms. <laughs> and then there's a point in the film where he, he actually burns it. I mean, it's not funny, but he burns his house down to the ground. Um, and we've been arguing about these electric, dangerous electric heaters that he's got all over the house. And I said, if you're not careful, you're going to burn the house down. And then that's what he does. And, but the first thing when I go to the hospital to see him and say, look, David, you know, you've lost everything because he was a hoarder as well. You've lost everything in the fire. And he said, oh, what? What about my tins? And he's referring to, you know, the tins of soup and baked beans and all the things that he's been surviving on. Um, while I was in India, and 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 so you know, it's a, it's a funny film, um, while it's about something that's very sad as well. When it comes to something that is as personal and as painful as someone dying, when you go through the process after he had passed away of having to sit down and review all that you had recorded in order to crystallize it into whatever number of minutes it finalized came. Was that a painful process? Well, it was a very interesting process for me because um, you have very mixed feelings when you've been looking after somebody and you, you know, you've, you have fights and you have good times as well. And there are all those things like, for example, you know, we I'd tell him, look, you can't have these fires. It's too dangerous, these electric fires. And then he'd burn the house down or he'd say to me, you're being a boring nephew. You know, it. You know, there were th- he said, over my dead body, I'll go into a care home. And then we had to put him into a care home in the end. And all this um, trauma, really. And actually, it wasn't... Um, painful going over the all the rushes in a way it was like a therapy session because it gave you the opportunity and the chance to sort of think it through and tell the story to yourself and in a way that's what therapy isn't it is isn't it you go to a therapist and you kind of try to work out a story about your life that actually you feel comfortable with and you're trying to understand what happened. And and so that's what the editing process was like for me. Because I think back to my own mother's passing and the family being around. And, you know, it's 
what most people would have gone through. It was not being recorded. It was not going to be edited. It was not going to be analyzed afterwards. So that what you were doing in many ways was something very unique. Um, yeah, I think so. And I think I, I was actually very lucky to be going through that and uh, to have that, that opportunity and that experience. Um, you know, I think for many people, they grieve for a long time. And the grieving is really about coming to terms and understanding what it was like um, to to have someone close to you passing. And, you know, you you have very mixed feelings about, you know, you've had you've got resentments, you've had arguments, you've had good times and all of that. So it was a bit like a kind of fast track, um, fast track bereavement for me, although I have to say it did take a long time to edit. <laughs> and as you say, you spent more time back having, in a way, an anticipation that this was to be a relatively short period time that extended into quite a long period of time as a result of that did it bring members of your family into the story that ultimately then resulted in you having to um, detach when it did come to the editing process in order to accurately reflect any of those kind of conflicts um, that's a very good question. And um, it was very helpful to have an editor from outside who didn't know anything about, uh, didn't know any of us and didn't know anything about the story. So they came to the material very fresh. And, um, you know, they could in a way act like the therapist and tell me, you know, no, you know, this is what's going on here. And that's, you know, maybe we should try this. Uh, so, um you know, in a way, I was lucky to have people from the outside, including David, um, you know, the producer um, in Ireland, who was also giving me feedback on the film. Um, and, and the feed, you know, the, the, all of that feedback um, and trying to figure out the story and to, to make it sort of authentic and feel real and and true to what really happened. Um, you know, that 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 was very useful in fact before I, I talk to David I have one more question to put you on that was David directing any of this or was Simon directing all of this well I think you, that's a very good question yeah because he always used to say okay where's the camera put the camera on come on let's do a bit of filming and I'd be thinking oh come on I've got to hoover up the floor I've got to uh, clear clear all the bins out I've got to put your clothes in the in the wash, you know, all these things. Um, and he really wasn't interested in any of that stuff. Uh, he just wanted to have fun. And I suppose one of the great things for me, um, because, you know, you can get I'm I'm 60 years old now and you can get that sort of uh, middle age kind of. You know, your life sometimes can feel a little flat or, um, you know, I suppose I was maybe a bit jaded after five years of looking after him. But he had this kind of playfulness and a very playful attitude to life, um, which in a way rubbed off on me. And I feel, you know, a lot more playful now. I think I learned a lot from him about you know, don't worry about putting the rubbish out. Let's get the camera out. Let's have some fun. Let's try and uh, 
make a movie. <laughs> David, I assume, and I would take it you were in Ireland while all of this was going on. So as the producer, um, how were you able to engage? Well, I came into the film quite late as a producer. Simon did everything himself. I mean, this was, you can tell from the way he tells the stories of being with his uncle that this was a, a film by accident that became a magical, wonderful, beautiful film in the end. So Simon was on his own for the shoot, and um, Simon and I are, are very old friends. We go back to uh, sharing a house together in London in the 80s, and then I was over in Ireland. We lost touch for many years and then reconnected because Simon went off to study documentary and I ended up in documentary and we bumped into each other at Sheffield Documentary Festival. And there was kind of serendipitous in a way that, you know, two old friends came together in that way. And then Simon would come over and visit in, in Ireland and we were running NASA, my partner and I were running a documentary film festival and we showed a couple of Simon's earlier films. So he was a guest and that was actually here in Gorter Hawk. Um, and then at one of the festivals, I think Simon was, was well into the edit at that stage. Um, or just started the edit. He told me about his uncle and he said, let me tell you about what I'm doing at the moment. And, and I was in stitches laughing. Now, that might sound weird that I was laughing at a story of, of his uncle who had been ill and had gone into a care home and was dying. But the stories that Simon told about Uncle David were just were so funny. I, I just wanted to see the material. I wanted to know more about the story. And, and I said, Simon, who's producing this? And Simon said, well, I am because there's had no money. I've been doing this by myself for, for five, six years. And I said, look, I'd love to help you if I can. So that's how it, we started. So my engagement only came in at that, at that point. And in comparison to some of your, Earlier work, David, and I, I must say I've seen some of your work and um, admired it greatly, particularly the um, uh, the title escapes me. I had it there for a short moment. The couple that were the teachers that were to retire in Loco Parentis. Yes, that, that was, yeah. y- yes, that was brilliant movie, brilliant movie. But um, in comparison to where you would have been involved in a, a project from early on, and would have had input to come into a project at the stage that you did and pick it up where you did must have been also a little bit unusual and surreal for you. It it was unusual, but Simon is a natural storyteller. um, And he, he had already shaped a lot of what he wanted to tell through the way that he, he made the film. Um, I think what he needed and what, what he, Simon himself said is that the editor gave and that I gave was, you know, an outside view, a kind of an, a, a, a look at, at all the material and saying, Simon, that's really working. That isn't working. You know, you need to put more of yourself in the film. We need to know a little bit more about Simon, the carer, not just about David, the person who was Uncle David, who was being cared for. So I think that's what what I added, I hope, at that point. Um, yeah, it was strange, but it, it felt very, very good and very natural. And thankfully, Simon and I are still best of friends. And we haven't I don't think we've had a single row on this project. And uh, that's kind of exceptional. 
Um, have we, Simon? <laughs> no, no, we haven't, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I've, I, the, I think the biggest problem for us was that because it was so late in the process, it's very difficult to find funding for the film. Um, people want to get involved. Financiers want to get involved in films at an early stage. And all my, that's where the difference is, Austin. My previous films, we would, we would have had at least some funding committed before we started filming. Um, so that was a challenge and remained a challenge, challenge right through to the end. And we, we did get a little bit of development money from Screen Island here in Ireland. Um, we, we were looked for money from the British Film Institute and we were just, uh, it was a battle. It was a challenge. So. Um, what's coming to mind is um, when I was looking at the um, background to An Irish Goodbye um, that they had successfully done all the filming and put it in the canon. They had no money for uh, getting it out there and they did a fundraiser. And here was this wonderful short film that they were capable of delivering on but couldn't get it anywhere without going to um, uh, GoFundMe. And yet here it, it wins an Oscar which is in many ways indicative, I think, in a way, David, of what you were saying is the challenges that you can be presented with is you can have this wonderful piece of work. But it's only a wonderful piece of work once you can get it in front of an audience. And that then represents a huge challenge. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, 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 they were younger lads than Simon and I, the guys who did an Irish goodbye. Simon, Simon and I used a little bit of our own money. You know, I have a company that, as you very kindly said, Austin, have, have been doing some good films. Simon had his own company. So we had, you know, we, we could use some of our own resources because it does cost money. It always costs money to, to, to finish a film. Um, but, you know, you, sometimes you know, a film is worth finishing. It's worth going for and worth doing everything you can. And, and we had, we submitted the film to lots of festivals. We were getting rejected. And then finally we got into what is, I think, still the biggest documentary festival in the world, which is IDFA in Amsterdam, International Documentary Festival Amsterdam and into the main competition out of 150, 200 contenders. And Simon won the best directing award there, which was fantastic. So suddenly everything we had believed in in the film and, and dreamed of for the film was starting to to come to fruition. So you must be very excited, Simon, about um, arriving in Toronto and having it screened at Hot Ducks. I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, I've never been to Canada before. Um, and I know that the sales have gone very well. I think some of the, the screenings have sold out already. Uh, so that's great. People are obviously interested in the film. I mean, the exciting thing for me is that, uh, when we do these screenings, and as David said, we've done one in Amsterdam, we've done one in Copenhagen. In fact, our premiere was in Dublin. And, um, what was so interesting is that all these people that come to the screenings, a lot of them are carers for their own family members and they're coming up afterwards and they want to talk about their experience of being a carer and they'll say, oh my God, it was so similar, you know, in the film to what I went through and my mum was giving away all her money to the neighbours and this kind of thing. Um, it felt to us as though there was a really, a real cathartic need for a film like this, which we didn't realise when we made the film that people want to talk about these things that they think other people will find boring. 
um, uh, a lovely lady stopped me in the street in Amsterdam and gave me a huge hug um, and said, oh, I've got to say thank you for showing your film because um, I, I'm looking after my mom for 10 years. Whenever I go to a dinner party or something um, and people say, what do you do? And I say, I'm looking after my mom. They'll sort of tap me on the shoulder and say, oh, good for you. And then turn and talk to the other person because they think it's boring. And so suddenly everybody feels they can talk about, you know, their experiences um, of what it's like to be a carer and that, that that it is interesting. And I suppose that reflects what we've also had when we didn't get any funding or anything from the industry. Is they just thought, oh, it's a boring subject. Why would anybody be interested? But we've suddenly discovered that actually everybody does want to talk about it. There's a friend of mine who's... Um in the UK and at the moment at this very moment um, she's caretaking her dad um, and he does not have long left but maybe no more than two weeks ago <clears throat> she and her mother went out he wanted to pick his grave and they went to the graveyard the three of them the husband the wife and my friend the daughter and uh, just she said that that also even was helping her to cope with what was going on. So, yes, very much so that people are going through so many different experiences when it comes to dealing with elderly, be it their parents, their relatives, or very close friends. And it hasn't really been portrayed in a fashion that allows people to empathize, to relate, and in a way to grieve, be it in advance, before, during, and after. I think that's right, yeah. And I think people are also very alienated from death, certainly. You know, the times when we used to lay the body out on the kitchen table and all come round and um, have endless drinks and sandwiches, that, that's all gone and it's become a very invisible part of our lives, yet it's a part of our lives that we're all probably going to go through at some stage. <laughs> Indeed. I want to give the details. Uh, they can be found on Hot ducks.ca the screening will be at the Scotiabank Theatre and it is at 2.15pm on Friday the 28th and also on Tuesday May 2nd so while you're listening to this the Friday event will have happened but you have time to go coming up on Tuesday at 8pm at the Scotiabank Theatre and it will be streaming online also that you can get tickets for that and again go back to Hot Docs that's H-O-T D-O-C-S dot C-A for the full details. We've been chatting with Simon Chambers and David Rain. And uh, thank you guys for coming along. It's been a real pleasure and an honour chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. When life's good, it's very, very good. When it's bad, it's horrid. What do you do if your uncle says he's dying? And you're the only person in the world that can look after him. I'm just saying, I think it's OTT to buy four of everything. Don't think like that. Have you got any more of these big ones, please? One, two, three. Four is OTT, be careful. But if you go six, seven, then you're buying too much stuff. Ooh, that was my finger. You know, bossy uncle and... And bossy nephew. And bossy nephew. Absolutely. All the world's a stage. And all the men and women merely players.
What do you do when you're dragged into a mess that's exactly like the Shakespeare plays that he used to act in? Which of you, shall we say, doth love us most? I'm a bubbly person. And he wants to give his kingdom away to a hot anthropology student he's fallen in love with. He, he received £25,000 from you. I'm intuitional about money. I don't really think of figures, 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 figures. Why was I always the boring one, standing at the edge, never doing anything right? Because everybody keeps saying, put him in a home, put him in a home. I know they do. And Thank you God don't you want know. to be in a home. Why do I need to be in a home? And then King Lear had his storm. Death. It's like going on the most wonderful holiday without any of the bother of packing. <laughs> <laughs> mm.